This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. All right. Well, as we come to God's word this morning, I know it's going to seem like I'm a film junkie because I'm going to ask you another film-related question this week, but I promise I'm not. How many of you, raise of hands, have ever seen the cerebral and very mind-bending movie Inception? Wow, that's actually more than I thought would say that. All right, Inception. I, again, I, I used to watch a lot of movies. I don't really much anymore, but I'll always be like a secret Christopher Nolan fan at heart who wrote and directed the movie. Okay, so those of you who have not seen it, maybe you don't want to see it. You ready? Spoiler alert. Get mad. I told you, all right? <laughs> and what do we say? Jesus is Lord. Not ball, right? Deuce is a false god. Jesus is Lord, right? <clears throat> if, you haven't, if you haven't seen Inception, in a nutshell, it's about this for hire guy who can infiltrate other people's dreams and get information from them. But there's also this flip side of that task force that's kind of like the secret rogue thing. It's a near impossible task of going into someone's dreams, their mind, and putting information in. It's already far out there, right? So much of the movie is spent in the dreams of other people. Uh, within, within the movie, these, these different layers of dreams or, or dreams within dreams. And we've all, I, I think, I can speak for myself, we've all had a dream where we're dreaming, and it can get kind of weird. You're, you're deep down the rabbit hole. And in the movie, uh, each person in that Inception dream team, quite literally, has a small object that they use to determine if they're in the real world or not, if they've woken up or if they're still in a dream. And in Leonardo, uh, at the end of the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio, the main character, who's been in all these dreams, who's the, kind of like the main Inception agent, his object, his tote, is a little top, you know, like thing that you spin. Kids that are, they used to not have anything with screens, and people would play with things and just spin them and watch them. Sounds fun, right? right? He chose a top because in the real world, if you spin a top, after a little bit of time, it, it falls over. But in these dreams that go on for hours and years, the further down you get, seriously, watch it. It's, it's pretty crazy. It, it doesn't topple over. So at the end of the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Leo spins the top because he can't figure out if he's in the real world or in a dream world. He's been in dreams so long, he can't really differentiate if he's in the real world or in a dream world. And, and the camera zooms in on the top, and you're watching it on top of this desk, and you're watching it spin, and you see this little wobble, and then black screen. I remember going to the movies, and I remember the year it came out. It was because the year I graduated. I'm aging myself. It was 2010. I remember sitting in the front row just about and going, that's it? Like, what? Like, come on. Because you, you just have this 
sense of wanting closure to know if Leo made it. I say that's it. That, that's how it ends. But now, as I've grown older and wiser since then, and the genius of Christopher Nolan has bore some intellect upon me, as you could say, I actually see that the gravitas of how that movie ends is fascinating and powerful. Perfect ending to the movie, honestly. So today, as we close our exposition of 1 John, I say all that to set us up to see at first glance, we're going to think in 1 John 5.21, that's it? Black, blank, black, that, that's it? That, where, where's the closure? Yet if we slow down and consider what John exhorts us with right here at the end, we will have eyes to see and ears to hear that it's actually the perfect ending for this perfect little inspired letter. Would you open in your Bible to 1 John 5, 21? 1 John 5, 21. God's word says this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father of glory, may you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation of who Christ is. Would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us to in your word. May I fathom the riches of being your inheritance and you ours through the glorious reconciliation wrought by Jesus. That great immeasurable work, cross and resurrection. Father, would you call every tongue today to declare Jesus as Lord to be no longer dead in the trespasses of our sins, but alive in Christ because of the rich mercy that you, O oh gracious Father, have poured out upon us by grace through faith. To you, O oh God, be glory eternal, and to us the joy of exalting you and enjoying you forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Little children. Keep yourself from idols. That's it. That's how the grand self-examination style letter of 1 John ends. All these questions and themes concerning fellowship and confidence and assurance of pardon and sin and forgiveness and love and obedience and holiness and prayer and light and dark and truth. How it ends. Right here. There's no postscript. There's not even a signature of like, fare thee well, my loves love the Apostle John, son of thunder, right? We've got some son of thunder this morning. There's nothing, none of that. It's, it's really abrupt, as if John were interrupted and didn't get to finish his letter, as if John was right in the middle of it and the Romans kicked a door in or something. Oh, i got to get everything and run. Now, there actually are some scholars who believe that that was the case, that he was interrupted and couldn't finish, and we have kind of an incomplete manuscript. However, throughout our examination of 1 John, this simple fisherman from Galilee has shown himself to be quite the literary genius carried along by the Holy Spirit. These six simple words, frankly, are the most jarring in all of 1 John. The tone of joy and encouragement that John has been giving us throughout fuses in this last verse to become serious exhortation. The joy and love they're not giddy and carefree, unbridled motions and motives. 
what we would think, our world would think. Rather, joy and love are, are serious. We are seriously joyful about the things that we seriously love, aren't we? And yet, we have to admit, this is not how we expected the letter to end. It feels almost wrong in a way, doesn't it? Like we're being robbed of it. It's like watching the end of that big game. I remember my dad telling me this a couple of times. Watching the end of the, was it the Super Bowl? The Redskins were playing or something. And it's get, getting down to the last thing. And then all of a sudden, it cuts to a commercial, like prepaid programming. Oh, who won? That's how it feels. Like, oh, we need closure. However, here's what we must realize now that we are at the end of 1 John. John is giving one of the most pointed, succinct, short, but deep theological statements in all of Scripture that cause us to ponder with intent. We must realize that if we were to ask John, all right, son of thunder, all right, that's a lot to take in. All this that you've given us, that's a lot to take in. Can you recap it all for me? John gives this single statement as a big idea for us to chew on think about concerning all of his letter. Joy, fellowship, truth, sin, forgiveness, prayer, love for God, love for neighbor, all of these truths that we are called to be confident in at the end of the day can be spurred on in God's children and lumped under this final imperative, this final command. Keep yourselves from idols yourselves from idols. In all actuality, this is the most fitting end for 1 John because what John is doing is calling us to realize that all the things that we're fighting against, all the engendering of confidence in God's people, all the truth that he has given us against the lie of the enemy has to do with worshiping the one true God in spirit and in unity and in truth. Big idea. The apostolic Christianity that John has defended against uh, these false teachers in the background of 1 John is concerned with the apostolic perspective, the Christian worldview, seeing the parts and pieces of 1 John at the end of the letter fundamentally having to do with this idolatry. So as we come to the last question of our self-examination of 1 John, maybe you've missed a bunch of it. Go check them out. They're online. You can hear these questions. Here's what we need to consider as we pause and feel the gravity of 1 John in this last question. After going through the whole book with all the truths and all the other examinations, we have to soberly and honestly ask ourselves this. Am I confident I'm worshiping the true God? Confident that I'm worshiping the true God John closes the letter in tender yet, yet firm compassion and exhortation. He calls again his audience, technia, little children, dear ones. Remember that term of endearment, my, my dear ones. My dear ones, hear me. You must do this. This isn't an option. You must be awakened to this sharp fact that all the issues presenting themselves through false teaching, through lack of confidence, through all the doubts, through all the confusion or even lack of knowledge of what you claim to believe, all idolatry, you must guard yourselves from it. Notice coming out of the section 
of last week on confident prayer for one another and bearing one another's burdens in love and knowing the truth of who Jesus is, last imperative still isn't concerned with the individual, but with the community. Dear ones, plural, guard yourselves, plural. Both of those are second person, plural. So here in Kentucky, this is how we would render that verse. You ready? Yuns, y'all keep from idols. Yuns, right? Y'all keep y'all from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. If John has not made it clear that the life of the child of God is one done in community, in family, in unity, he does here again at the end of Scripture with a call to obedience. We are to watch out for one another. We are to guard one another. The, the word keep here in the Greek is one that means to have someone in custody as if they're in the presence of soldiers or a jailer, chained up, fettered, tethered. To use some modern imagery, they're zip-tying you up. Keep one another chained up against idols. The children of God must be just that. Children of God, but loving siblings of one another watching one another's backs. Think of Christian community like this. This will resonate with Rob for sure right now. We have fences in our backyards to keep what we love in and what is harmful out. When we come together for a cookout, like on July 4th, when we have brisket at Rob's, which will be glorious, if we see that there's a part of the fence down and a mean, nasty pit bull is on the other side of that fence. The men scurry to put that fence back up, even if it's not their fence. What's his problem? He can deal with it. No, it's, it's Rob's fence. It's my fence. But there's help because the help, although it takes work, keeps everyone safe. We get that. Guarding ourselves, guarding one another. This reciprocal chaining to the word. But what does John speak of here as idols? Is John really concerned with temple worship? No, not at all, actually. That hasn't been his concern at all throughout this letter. It would be massively out of place if John just at the end is like, oh yeah, don't go to the temple of Zeus with his thunderbolt. Don't do that. Bad, bad, no, no good. That would be way out of place. Paul addresses this many times. You can read 1 Corinthians. Corinth struggled with that. Bad. But John is not concerned with a rigid form of idolatry where there's an image or a statue involved. No, rather, this conclusory imperative is summarizing all the misconceptions that would lead you away from the truth of Scripture, all of this falsehood, the truths he has gone over and over and over again. If you don't follow up with those, if you don't have... A, a, a lockstep with those, you're in idolatry. John Stott says this, a nice little succinct sentence as well. An idol is a God substitute. An idol is a God substitute. Any system, any thought, any person, desire, say that again. Any system, any thought, any person, any desire, any idea that would draw you away from the true and living God of Scripture, even the good things that He has given us in the world, even the good things in His Scripture, isolated away from Him as an end to themselves, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. In short, anything you love more than God 
is an idol. Anything you love more than God is an idol. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, says this, and it's spot on. If you love anything better than God, you are idolaters. If there is anything you would not give up for God, it's your idol. If there is anything that you seek with greater fervor than you seek the glory of God, it's your idol. And conversion, repentance, means turning from every idol. See here in the, the modern West, we have a view of idolatry that's superficial. It's quite shallow. If there isn't some overt statue or image, then it's not really idolatry. But this is wrong. And we know this is wrong. How often have you ever slowed down and asked yourself this question, what is idolatry? Well, when we take the totality of Scripture, we see idolatry is simply the cheapest of sin, the root sin, all sin being idolatry, because idolatry is rejection of God and his truth for a perversion about him and his truth. Idolatry, church, my dear ones, is substitution of God for something or someone else. That's idolatry. All sin is idolatry. Because all sin is the fallen manifestation of a different God by the will of the creature. Keep yourselves from idols. All sin is idolatry because all sin that we as humans commit is man ultimately saying this, I'm God. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves chained together as you're chained to the scriptures, as we're chained to Christ. What is this unshackling, this unfettering away from keeping one another safe look like? What does this idolatry and mass look like? Well, it looks like the fall, actually. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Feel free to flip there if you want to. Genesis 3, 1 through 13, we, we read this. Now, the serpents was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. He wasn't guarding her. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. Yahweh called to man and said to him, where are you? 
said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, yes, I'm sorry. No, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. Eve, the serpent that you made, it's his fault. He deceived me. The fall of man was enticed by the chief antichrist himself, Satan, with flat-out lies and installation of doubt. Did God really say, no, you won't die? But these wicked evils that slipped off the slithering tongue are not the culmination of the fall. The lie that provoked man was this. For in the day that you eat of it, KJV right here, ye shall be as gods. You shall be as gods. You will be like God. The fall was man tempted unto sin of worshiping himself by attempting to erect an image in the place of God and then bow down to it. And what was that image? A cow? Golden calf? What about a lightning bolt? Man, that would have been great if the Lord did that just then. What about a dung beetle, like in Egypt? No. The image was this. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image, the idol that man chose to worship was himself. His standards, his ideas, his desires, his will. I'll decide what's good. I'll decide what's evil. I'll decide what's true. I'll decide what is false. I will have the power. I will rebel to reform. The wicked lies of the false teachers that John was battling behind 1 John that we still battle today, all the wicked lies converge at the fall of the garden. Do you realize that? They all converge right there. Because every wicked lie that would lead you astray is man in the place of God. The image demanding to be bowed down to rather than the image reflecting the glory of the painter. Mona Lisa declares the genius of da Vinci, not the beauty of herself, right? Moonlight Sonata declares the beauty and the genius of Ludwig, what's his name, Beethoven? Von Beethoven, I almost said Mozart, which would have been terrible, Sophia. Right? Moonlight Sonata declares the genius and the beauty of Beethoven, not that the piano is superior to all other instruments. We get this, and yet we try to suppress that truth and unrighteousness, don't we? In modernity, in today's times, these wicked lies may be a false religion like Islam, a false idea like transgenderism as the chief liberator of man, or a person like your own child who you are more devoted to than God, or something that entertains you like basketball or a wildcat or 
ouch, a buffet. Have we become too blind to realize this? That the piece of glass in your pocket, we crave to hear vibrate and jingle and display a little red icon that says someone heard you. Faith. First moment our eyes awake in the morning set up and what do we all do? Listen, I'm guilty of this too. Oh, sweet. And then you spend 15 minutes looking at all the stuff that happy devote your time to. When we think about the law, think about standards, worship, standard of God, his rule and reign. Jesus tells us throughout the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, Jesus tells us throughout the New Testament that the Old Testament can be summed up in what? Loving God and loving neighbor. When we think of the law, we usually think of the Ten Commandments, right? And Garrett, perfect providential timing, as James says, you break one, you break it all. It's linked together. Is, is all breaking of the Ten Commandments really idolatry at the court? Man hating man and hating God, desiring to exalt himself. Well, let's test it. Exodus 20, Exodus 20 is the first iteration of the 10 words, the 10 commandments. Let's see if that happens if we flip everything on its head. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. Pretty simple. I am my own God. I'll make the decisions. I'll figure out what I think is good and right. I'll live by my truth. You do your truth. You live your best life now, girlfriend. Right. Number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Oh, all right, let's see. I better find this perfect filter for this selfie, right? Oh, yeah, that, that's right. Oh, almost time for the ball game. I got to hurry up and got to watch those wildcats, those creatures of the earth, with fervor and with knowledge of all the stats. I know all the stats all the way back to when Rupp was, you know, the coach but what's Proverbs 24:10? You should not bear the name of God in vain. Yeah, I go to church. Super fun. We've got like a bounce house. Sometimes I sneak in there when nobody's looking, even as a Dorton, and jump around, and it's fun, you know. But I know I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, and I have a filthy mouth, and post things that are offensive. But did you see the Jesus fish sticker on the back of my car? as I cut you off in traffic and gave you one-fifth of a wave. Just FYI, bearing the name of the Lord in vain is not just, oh my God. It means to carry his name in a worthless way. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I don't need rest. Rest is dumb. I like to work all the time. What I want to work on, I'll rest when I want to. Maybe Friday. Sunday's kind of like me time. I like to do my thing on Friday, on Sundays. I'll rest on Friday. I don't need community. I don't need that. I'll, I can read my Bible at the house on Friday. You shall honor your mother and father. I'm sorry, your father and mother. Nah, they're kind of annoying. Um, I'm the ultimate authority, and nobody really tells me what to do. I don't live under their house anymore. I can do whatever I want. 
sorry, mom, sorry, dad. We shall not murder. Exactly. We shouldn't do that. Well, let me tell you, I, I hate this guy at work. Like, I cannot stand him. I hate this guy. I hate this other mom who tries to include herself in all of her stay-at-home mom stuff. She's really annoying, like, like super annoying, trying to act like a woman, I guess. I wish she would leave us alone. I like it better without her. You want to come over tonight and watch a movie? We can have fellowship. We can do community. I was thinking one of those new like horror movies where everybody just kills one another. <laughs> so funny, isn't it, right? I know that they aren't real people. They're actors, and they're portraying being murdered. You, you old prude pastor, right? It's just entertainment, right? Watching people who portray other people as God's image bearers just dying, gruesome, all of these things. Murder is just judging a life as worthless by your standard. You should not commit adultery. Why is marriage a big deal anyway? If he or she isn't pleasing me, right? Not, not advocating for the same-sex mirage. Right? If that person isn't pleasing me, whatever, I have the right to feel good. They do too. It's fine. I do what I want whether it's real person or porn or whatever. Adultery is not a big deal, right? Marriage isn't a big deal. It's just like roommates living together, really. Adultery is deeming that marriage, which is one of the highest covenants that God has given us, is worthless and flexible when God said that it wasn't. You should not steal. I think that I would like to have that. It would bring me joy. Mm, yeah, it's just a candy bar. It's just me saving a little money by lying on my taxes a little bit. It saves me like a hundred bucks. I need it. They don't know that I need it. I need it. It's just me keeping things people lend to me, even small things. I just write this one off for the business, you know, that, that my boss will never catch. I'll buy some stuff with the credit card and just say it was expenses. He, he trusts me. Just a few dollars here of my budget that I'll say was for food to my husband. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. That guy's weird. That lady, I'm pointing at Alana, you're not, right? That lady, she's ugly. I'm pretty sure that guy over there is going through a divorce. Two weeks later, turns out he wasn't. A guy with the same name as somebody you know. I didn't start that rumor. His problem. Right, false witness is you declaring something about them, remark, remaking them in your image that you would like them to reflect. Usually your own twisted version of God. Lastly, you shall not covet. I've got to get that new iPhone. It has like a 4,000 megapixel camera that can zoom in on individual atoms. I have to have that because that will help me choose the right filter for my selfie. I have, if I can't get, I, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to get that and I will ruin everybody in my way to get it. I'm incomplete without it. Coveting is just simply placing your identity in anything and everything else that you think will give you fulfillment. 
Coveting could, could be See, every single one of us becomes an idolater, and every single one of these Ten Commandments becomes idolatry at the flip of a switch. It's my life. I'll do what I want. No one's going to tell me what, I want, what I'm going to do. If you won't, I'll, I'll kill you. You won't, I'll leave you. You won't, I'll take it from you. You won't, I will ruin your name because people listen to me. You won't, and I'll find a way to get whatever I want Worship me. Idolatry is near every one of us. Realize that. There's sobriety. You must be honest and agree with the words of the reformer John Calvin who said this, the heart is a perpetual factory of idols. A perpetual factory just churning out the Fords of idols. Just churning out the Willy Wonka scrumptiliumptious of idols. Let's use the stark reality the sobering reality, and re-examine a few major points from 1 John as we close this wonderful letter out to see what John is exhorting us to as his final thought. A good recap for those of you who have not been with us since the beginning. Right, 1 John 1, 6-10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If you claim to have fellowship with God but blatantly disobey his commands, you're committing idolatry. You are bowing down to some arbitrary standard that you have made up. You've taken the God of Scripture who changeth not and think you're the potter and he's the clay when it's the reverse and fashion for yourself a God in your own image. If you say you have no sin, you are committing idolatry because God says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did God really say that? Nah, I think this is better. Live my truth, you live your truth. You're worshiping yourself. 1 John 2, 1-11. through 11. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way that he walked. If you do not love and care for your neighbor, especially your fellow Christian, you are walking in idolatry. You are claiming you are more important than they are. Your time your resources, your energy, your patience, your knowledge, your care. It's just that. Yours. They can take care of themselves. Why? Because I don't want to. I don't care. I don't. I, I, idolatry. That's what it is. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The things of the world, even the good things, 
are not God things separated by one O. Food is good, but it is not worth worshiping because it will not give you the satisfaction of eternal life. It will kill you. It will. And you will want more of it, and you will want more of it. Food isn't the problem. It's the self-worship that uses food as the sacrifice upon the altar. The same can be said for literally anything else. Sports, video games, your spouse, your child, your career, your education, your physique, your whatever. Things of the worldly system. We need to always realize they are good things. Things in the world are good. Because while the world is infected by sin, this is our Father's world who created everything pre-fall as very good. Sin has messed it all up to the point that all of creation from the planets to the plants of the forest groan with longing for the revelation of the sons of gods, the sons of God, for even creation shall be redeemed. But the things in the world, when they are seen as good and worthy of all of our devotion, apart from God, detached from glorifying him, they're idols. The desires of the flesh are all the good things that are ripped from God and made to be false gods. One more, 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Any other confession concerning Jesus that isn't that, apostolic Christianity, as we have seen time and again in this little letter, is idolatry. It's a false God. It is a person believing a lie about the true living God. To be led astray concerning who God is, to be led astray into following someone else's word concerning God. It's ultimately worship of that person, which is you choosing to be your own God, whether you choose to follow your own ideas or someone else's because you deem that that's more suitable for you. Jesus isn't God. He's just one spoke in the will. Homosexuality is fine. It's love. It's good. People should just be able to love whoever they want. The Bible isn't the final word on that. Come on. We've progressed past that. Love. Everybody love everybody. You can't understand the scriptures without me. Now, here's the thing. You can't understand them without me, but it takes a lot of work, so you need to give me $1,000 every month so you can know. You don't want to go to hell, do you? Stuff that you see on TBN. Little children, my dear ones, as we close out this glorious letter, I urge you to take this last word of John and apply it to your life with vigor. Apply this last word of 1 John with zeal the way that those kids sing the Apostles' Creed song. Like, yes! Yes, Sebastian. No, I can always count on you. Be like John's fellow worker, Paul, who came into the city of Athens in Acts 17 and saw all of its idols and was enraged. Look unto your life soberly. You have idols. You want to know how I know? Because you have sin. You have idols. Pray that the Lord would give you the strength to keep away from them, that you would not be chained to them, that he would send a fellow brother or sister to help watch your back. Chain yourself unto the Lord, unto Christ, who you are a slave of, dear children. 
take the chain of your life and relying upon the power of the Spirit and the help of your Christian brother in love and with zeal, lasso that bad boy around every day gone in your life and pull it down and decapitate him before the ark of the Lord. Do that. That we would be invigorated with zeal by God, by his children. That we would go to the temple, see every idol torn down. Little children, my beloved, dear ones, you, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from sin. Do not fall into the trap of thinking idolatry is merely a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a statue found in the image of a man or an animal. All of those things ultimately come from the sinful mind, the heart, the seat of man, because Zeus and Baal and Dagon and Chamosh and all that stuff is simply man representing himself through a glorified big version of himself. Warren Worsby says this, anything in our lives that takes the place of God and commands the sacrifice and devotion that belong only to him is an idol and it must be cast out. Idols in the heart are far more dangerous than idols in the temple. Why is that? Because we're told time and again by Paul, Peter, Christ himself, you are being built up in the temple. Idols in the heart are idols in the temple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are able to do this as God's child because he has saved you by the perfect work and death of his son who did both perfectly. And you know this because you have, he has given you his word. Little children, my dear ones, my dear ones, we are able to be in the scriptures because he has given them to us. And we see in the scriptures that they, can, they confirm the truth of all reality unto us of who God is. They, the scriptures rip down our idols. They refine us of sin. And they, being the perfect law of liberty, the rule of freedom, as James says, allows us to see the dirty reflection of our broken image it allows us to wipe the mud and the muck off of ourselves using the righteous robe of Christ more and more each day, the robe that staineth not, looking forward to the day that we are fully washed in the glory of his coming. And we do this knowing what he has given to us in the mirror, in the robe that he has called us to put on, himself, Fellowship, like Eden restored, eternal life. This is everything John's been telling us throughout 1 John, isn't it? That's the whole message, the whole encouragement. Oh, the pastor got real mean and called me an idolater. Yeah, because John said you are, but it's okay. Repent of them. Realize that you're a sinner and God has redeemed you. He has given you salvation through his son. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Do that. You must. Then walk in fellowship with one another. My dear ones, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from sin. Be not lawless. Be lawful. Be in the light, not in darkness. Have eternal life now and forevermore. Church, I speak these things to you for you to examine yourself, for you to repent, 
to have joy that you have a Savior, and to shine in the darkness as the moon reflects the sun. I speak these things to you. You know who you are, what you were called to, and who has called you, where you stand. Stand either before him, justified or condemned. Speak these things to you, not to shake your faith, not to shake your faith, but to shore it, for it has overcome as the object of our faith has overcome. Jesus Christ, the true God, I speak these things so that you may know that if you are an idolater and have not turned from your idols of sin this day, that you may be convicted of your sins, that you may hear the word of life and have new birth, that you may cast those idols into the fire instead of you being cast into the fire. I speak these things to you that you may have grace and that you may have peace of which I pray you live in and live out in joyful love, resting assured in it. That. I leave.